Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts Online podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month's topic is on disability and psychiatry. This podcast contains strong language. I'm Colin Hambrook, editor of Disability Arts Online. And in this issue, I'll be talking to writer, visual and performance artist, Gobskur. His work has featured on the pages of Disability Arts Online over many years, and his plays have been staged by a number of companies across Europe and in the UK. He was a Jesse Kesson Literary Fellow at Monarch Moor, Scotland's Writing Centre, in 2016. His play, Collector of Tears, was awarded the Best Northeast New Play of 2014 by the British Theatre Guide. Described as a theatrical Orlando for our times, it's a warm-hearted play about history, oppression and loss, in which its protagonist, Tanya Salt, tells stories of love and resistance, packing over 300 years of history into an hour's monologue. I first reviewed Wings of Giving Out, his third poetry collection published by Screv Press back in 2009. Gobskier's writing spins around a joy of playing with words, manipulating language in clever and beautiful ways and telling stories of the cruelties of modern day life and psychiatric oppression within a context of the voices of historical artists from Lorca to Voltaire and Eva Spankmeyerover to name a few. In this podcast, we'll be discussing psychiatry through the lens of the social model of disability. We'll be talking about language, the languages around mental health, and how Gobskur's writing has been influenced by that of historical writers such as Mary Wollstonecraft, Jesse Kesson, and poet John Clare, whose asylum breakout and five-day walk to freedom in 1841 was a starting point for his show Bastille's England. First off, we talk about the name Gobskur and how it came to be. We do stuff with words and sometimes without words, but kind of comes from words, language, languages, sometimes make language things, sometimes reframing narratives, turning things around. A whole bunch of stuff was this thing about colliding two words together, two real words that exist, and uh, gob and obscure and so just <laughs> gobscure stuck because it's gobby but obscure so together in London for their Disability Arts Festival a couple of years back um, exhibited 54 of these pieces and you know, so the, there was like prison so prison and song so it's a whole bunch of real English language words and of course the English language isn't the English language it's German and Icelandic and Transcaucasian and, and the rest of it mm-hmm. it's come from everywhere but uh, in prison, so it's, it's turning things around. So it was turning prison into song. It was being gobby and obscure. It was just a whole bunch of different words, and the word kind of stuck, and things have gone out under that name, and it seems useful or easy. It's a <laughs> it sums up what we do, I think. Gobskur, you're yes. a performance artist, a writer, a visual artist. Um, You've been very prolific for the last couple of decades, and um, mostly thanks to caffeine and obscurity, and not having enough friends and not sleeping enough. So yeah, we just try and do stuff. You know, when when you're well, you just try and 
put something out there in some way, shape or form. Starts probably, as I said, from words, but sometimes you know there are fewer and fewer words and more and more visuals or more and more sound or more and more performance. But it's not, just hate being boxed in. You know, I think we're all boxed in and labelled and pigeonholed and often categorised and often mislabeled. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to come on to the diagnostic and sadistic manual DSM of, of psychiatry and I, I hate being boxed in it's just you can't confine people we're messy you know, the governmentals currently they, 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 they're not a believer in friction they like friction less they like less friction and humans are about friction we're about messiness and about all those issues and problems and, and whatever but friction also likes fires so just trying to do stuff, you know, trying to make sense of the, the non-sense out there. The world's insane, the world's mad. We're not mad, we are, we are made. You know, we're driven over the edge by that. And just trying, the only thing though is that I think we've all, I think we're, you know, I think we're born with a voice. And I think basically we're silenced as soon as possible. So different bits silence whichever bit of us. It may be church, it may be state, it may be education. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's the various medical things, and that includes psychiatry. Sometimes it's life or class, gender. You know, basically, mm -hmm. th there is this battle. We're born, we're born, you know, screaming and the rest of it. We're told to shut up, we're silenced. And I think the battle is to regain our voice. We've all lived, we've all got stories to tell. How do you tell that story? Arts, creativities, creative resistances, whichever one, whichever bit of it. And sometimes it's more, oh, it's more theatre, or it's more this, or it's more that. But they, they, they tend to merge. So it's really just, let's try and have more friction, not less. Let's try and have a voice. It's this, it's messiness and it's complex and not being boxed in, but it is about what the hell's going on. And trying to have a voice but not oh that is the mental distress bit or oh that is the sexuality bit or oh that is the environmental bit it is like mary wollstonecraft she was mad bad rad by european an you know, internationalist a mother a writer a rioter you know you can't compartmentalize and it's really unhealthy isn't it it's really unhealthy to stick mm. any of us you call it in into box oh are you this or are you that or are you that we're all these things we are we are multiple we are plural we have all these these bits all these facets of us that make us fascinating and rich and complex and maddening and <laughs> and all the rest of it and when you try to boil it down to to labels and pigeonholes and boxes and the rest of it, it doesn't work <laughs> Gobskier's work has been influenced by writers from the 18th through to the 20th century who were survivors of early psychiatric medical interventions, notably Mary Wollstonecraft, who lived from 1759 to 1797. So Mary Wollstonecraft, she was a writer, and some of that was fiction, but based on lived experiences, as you say, people being locked up and all the rest of it. And in all kinds of oppressions and violences and, and so on. She was also, you know, a, a, a campaigner, a feminist before the word even existed. She was an internationalist, so she travelled around Europe. She was in France, she was in Portugal, she was around Northern Europe. So she was, you know, she was international. She was a mother. She gave birth to Mary Shelley, who wrote many things, including Frankenstein. And, you know, so, so, so Mary Wollstonecraft was many things. She was also written off as a hyena in petticoats. A hyena in petticoats. A hyena in petticoats. So this mm. was 
the way to silence her. This woman that just, she was bisexual, she was mad, she was rad, she tried to kill herself. Uh, you know, she was all these things, struggling and glorious and amazing, an incredibly hard life. And she was erased, she was rubbed out, she was, you know, tried to destroy all these things, all this messiness, and call her a hyena in petticoats. And I don't where, know how- Where did that, where, where did that, Accolade, accusation come from. <laughs> it was the you know it was it was the politicians. It was the the males on the hardest right writing her off. And you know I, I can't remember. I've, I'm also suffering a lot of memory loss, so I literally can't remember who said it. But basically, you know they did say it in print. They called her a hyena in petticoats. Here in 2019, common era Britain. Uh, I think Europe's a bit of a thing just now. <laughs> I think, you know, madness, badness, radness, bisexualities, writing, rioting, all these sorts of things. You know, I am celebrating being a hyena in petticoats. I am a daughter of Mary and I think we should all celebrate these days being a hyena in petticoats and also, if you like, the near future because her whole life she kind of lived outside of conventions. So those boxes, those pigeonholes that she's put in, the mental distresses, the sexualities, the gender, the pro-Europeanness and the rest of it. And it was messy and glorious and complex and difficult. So, you know, she was born into a very, very violent family. So, you know, so she, you know, not just patriarchal times and the rest of it, but it also individual violence, threat, abuse, you know, alcoholism, you know, gambling, the whole the whole rest of it. So she was moved around the country. She ended up just outside Beverly, so 12 miles north of Hull. And that was where she met a friend and a friend's family. They gave her a library. So, you know, so they, they had a library of books. This is, you know, 200 and however many years ago. She read, she was given words which gave her the world which gave her asking questions which gave her the whole her oppositional defiance way back then so i'm i went through hell um and a couple of years after that so when i'm probably sort of 15 or something like this a whole bunch of mostly accidental and miraculous you know amazing incredible things happen and one of them just coming across people like tom Payne and mary wollstonecraft and this person written off erased these things totally different to us but you know trying to kill yourself all, all this kind of stuff bisexual whatever and just going wow this person was but also is amazing and also just that image hyena in petticoats how beautiful brilliant fantastic is that let's be hyenas in petticoats and i've held on to that for 30 odd years i asked gobskir about his play Collector of Tears. So your, your question was actually about the last play, Collector of Tears, which is published, uh, which went out on tour, and I think you saw it in Brighton. Uh, um, it was Northeast Play of the Year. And, you know, so that play, it's really about the radical history of the North, radical history actually out of Sunderland. So one of these things, you know, we tend to attack places, slag them off, and, you know, Sunderland, incredible beautiful places sometimes this reclaiming or turning things around or finding the bigger wider truths so wrote this 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 play about someone who's never cried so they've never aged and they've traveled across the course of hundreds of years of england uh, so 
this whole thing of radical England. They they haven't gone to Ireland. They've had a love of something. They have gone into Wales. So this whole geographic territories and borders, boundaries, they are playing with that. But it's the radical histories, amazing people, especially coming out of the northeast, especially out of Sunderland. Uh, also uh, about bisexualities, including Shakespeare, including Mary Wollstonecraft. Mary Wollstonecraft did attempt to end her life and my fictitious character did help rescue her so you're absolutely right this this person the the collector of tears she went through history collecting tears a commissioned set of tear bottles and one of them was for mary wollstonecraft this amazing incredible brilliant beautiful maddening person who gave us so much and has also you know is giving I think Britain and Europe and the world so much stuff right now. And the play, this person finally starts to cry and that allows them to age. And that is the 22nd of the 11th, 1990, the day that Maggie, or Maggie 1.0, because today Maggie 2.0, Teresa, has just resigned. (laughs) So there you go. So yeah, a play... Epic time, 300 plus years, a person's never cried, bisexualities, radical histories, poetry and myth and love. And, you know, those those true moments in time that have happened, founding of the NHS, the levelers, all these different real things, but a, a mythical person, if you like, who could then experience all those things, yes. Gobskir cited Wollstonecraft's unfinished novel, Maria, or The Wrongs of Woman, as an early example of the medicalization of madness, expressing an aspect of the social model of disability. But again, so you know, we're talking about this construct, this this conspiracy theory called psychiatry, <laughs> this pseudo medicalism, you know, this pretend, this 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 fake <laughs> that uh, pretends there is a, a you know it's an illness that there's a, a medical you know it, it's it's a disease it's this medical model and so again you're absolutely right but in this novel uh, you know mary is talking about her heroine maria and the other people they're locked up and one of you know a great english value was um creating the trade in lunacy we learned all those centuries ago how to make money out of people's misery and suffering, out of their madnesses. So yeah, by medicalizing so, madness. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. And locking people up and charging them for being locked up. <laughs> and yeah, so she's locked up, and she is talking about the social circumstances that brought her to it, pregnancy and wedlock and grief, and the other people locked up. So this is this whole thing. It's not mad. It's made. You know. So here is, you know, here is the social model of disability. Here are people, oppressors, locking people up X hundred years ago to earn money out of it, pretending there's something wrong with in in terms of there's something wrong inside you and the rest of it. These are people who have lived. These are people who have been hurt. These are people suffering. And you know, she talks about some of these things. And so some of them are autobiographical things that, she, you know, we know that she went through this stuff. You know, so she is talking about violence domestic violence she is talking about grieving you know sort of people dying and the rest of it talking about childbirth talking about poverty talking about abuse all those sorts of things so yeah she went through it lived experience for real she knew that those sufferings those pains those sorrows those hurts those whether individual ones or societal ones they 
they drive you mad. They drive you insane. They drive you over the edge. And yet you get locked up and then mislabeled and abused further and money, good money, made off you. So yes, uh, that is what that unfinished novel is about. And it is beautiful and haunting and harrowing. And one of the phrases that is used then is, is the Bastille. John Clare used the exact same phrase. Of course, the French Revolution around that kind of point in time. And this, you know, whether we're imprisoning people for quote-unquote madness or quote-unquote badness, locking people up, chaining them up, <laughs> locking them in, taking away their human rights, taking away freedoms, dignities, the whole, the whole lot of it. She went through it, she knew it, and she wrote about it. And these things, you know, she was a feminist way before the word, social model disability way before the phrase and the rest of it. He went on to read an extract from the performance piece, Hyenas in Petticoats. Hyenas in Petticoats, from a daughter of Mary. In the last year of her life, she travelled around North Europe with her daughter, the brat, Mary Shelley. And she wrote her most successful book then, 25 Letters. We've re-mixed them. We'll start with number 18. It sounds remarkably like now. <laughs> Tents on a wide plain. Bricks for fallen stacks of allure. Ravages suckle many of the poor. Artist book, soundpiece soundscape. Bye, 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 bye. Buy? Would you buy? Or are we buy? Made by? Or bisexual? Bisexualities? She's a demonstrator. Here are a range of demo placards updated to now. I think we should frock up with petticoats. I think we should rock up, put on a hyena masks. I think we should ask more, I think we should demand more. I think we should be carrying placards like these. Rich now stay in boutique hotels, AKA ex-prisons and asylums. I think we should ask the lanyard wearers not to unite, but to untie their lanyards. I think we need to ask more coppers, can you be arrested for impersonating a police officer? Impersonating a police officer is a crime. I reckon a lot of them are impersonating police officers. I think they should get nicked. You keep asking, why are you crying? When you've broken our writing hand, so many times, but, but, but. Here's Mary, her response. 
Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and cowslips all in a row. Different version of the nursery rhyme. There are multiple versions, multiple narratives, multiple realities. That dreams are made of, that dreams are made by. Mary wants beds to lie down in, in public, and living libraries, and rubbish bins growing demonstration placards, and soundscapes and artist books. She wants to give everyone a voice. Mary frocks up and rocks up in petticoat and hyena's mask. In Birmingham and Manchester, she wants outings elsewhere because this is Mad Mary, Rad Mary, Bye Mary, Lover Mary, Traveller Mary, Revolutionary, Campaigner, Writer, Rioter, Feminist Mary, European, Mother, Barely. Mad Mary, Rad Mary, Bye Mary. No selling, no selling out. A hoyden. A tomboy, a feist. Throwing back those screams of hyena in petticoats, dreams are made by. Spitalfields, Beverly, Lachan, Newington Green, Lisbon, County Cork, Paris, Putney Bridge, Hamburg, Oslo to be, Elsinore, your skein tying up. And the cons again scream, petticoats. Hyenas. Thanks to your mad, bad, rad, by mother, Mary, internationalist, insurrectionist, writer. Us, skein still remembering dreams made by. Let's keep dreaming. Our conversation turned to cognitive linguistics and the reframing of the language around mental well-being in a way that anti-psychiatry failed to do, despite Ardy Lang's best efforts to humanise psychiatry. Those people with that power, they have never felt the price of failure, so they have never, they never know what it's like to, 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 to hurt. So right now we're talking about disabilities. So you're born disabled or or impaired or whatever it is, or it came along at some point in time, there's a, a kind of a before and after. You feel the hurt, the pain, the difference, or the, the, the trauma, or the wounding, or, or the whatever it is, or you, there are certain things that you can't do, certain things you're barred from, excluded from, whatever it is. So yeah, there is that. But one of the things, this thing about how do we change stuff, how do we rewrite the future and the rest? You're absolutely right. So, and I'm not an academic, but out there, a whole bunch of people, some of them who are academics and or activists and or writers, thinkers, whatever, this whole thing about all the different strands, strains of how to design this stuff out. And one of the things is humans, we make sense of the word through languages. So this thing, as you say, about reframing, mental and then, yes, conventionally use the word illness. So a whole bunch of research under the category of what's called essentialist thinking, and this is part of this whole cognitive linguistics territory, this area. So basically, 
if we use the phrase mental illness, we see it medically. And this is this is research across, I think, 60 or 70 different countries. So some of these are low-income countries, medium-income countries, high-income countries. Some of these are kind of new, innovative, technologically driven. Some of them are very traditionalist, um, First Nations. So, you know, across a broad spectrum of, of, of countries, ways of thinking out there. And it's not inevitable, but it's just this thing, we're born and we're born into certain ways of thinking. And this illness thing so you catch a cold or or worse or whatever it is so you understand illness that way so when we phrase that the distress is up here the distress is in our mind because of the stuff that is happening out there the stuff that is done to you as an individual once off throughout your whole life the stuff that is done kind of collectively to you as a as a group of people whatever it happens to be the the, the, the traumas the woundings the grievings the failures the before and after all that stuff when you put that label mental and illness on it we have been trained from birth, but also then going back generation on generation on generation. So, you know, so we're talking about Mary Wollstonecraft. She saw this 225 years ago, and people before her would have done. She was saying it back then. Other people are saying this right now. We need to nuke that thinking, blow it out of the water, get rid of it, because we then see illness dirt, disease, otherness. So I, you know, and and you can't get away from this. I will be seeing you, Colin, as, oh, you are, I might catch it off you. I must, I must retreat from you. So we need to throw that out. And this is just one part of this territory. So why, why do we, why do we frame it like that? It also why be, do, becomes something to be cured, which is where the pharmaceutical <laughs> yes. industry comes in yes. to, to make its killing, literally. Yes. Well, yes, I'm not quite dead yet, but two heart attacks in, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know how much longer I've got. Gobskir's current play, Joey, is a story about reclaiming language. Set in the early 1980s, it's a story of playgrounds and care homes, DMs and red laces, punk and cassette tapes. It's a story of a kid who, a day after Joey Deacon goes on Blue Peter, arrives in the playground and declares that from now on, they are to be called Joey. I tried for real to talk about some of the stuff in the play in the late 1980s to child protection officers. It got nowhere. I tried to write about it in total fictitious form in the 90s, got rejected. Before my first heart attack, I was on Grey Eyes' right to play scheme. And Selma Dmitrovich of Grey Scale Theatre Company, she was our mentor at Grey Eye. We're talking about stuff. And she said, hoped that maybe could do a little bit more writing, you know, outside after that scheme ended, back up here. And the play kind of happened. Joey Deacon, who lived with cerebral palsy with, with CP, it was the last year of his life. He'd reached age, I think he was 60 by the time of this. In about that last year of his life, he'd also been examined by a psychologist who had uh, found, I think that the findings were, and I quote, he is of normal intelligence. So in, he'd been born before World War II, obviously difficult times, difficult life, if you have CP and mm. quite limited mobility, hard to understand speech patterns and all the rest of it. But by the time he went on Blue Peter, he had written a book, he lived with his mates in a bungalow who had travelled. He had, within the limits of the time and the rest, he'd got to a pretty good place, you know. 
again, it was done for all the best reasons, good intent and so on, put this person on television to show someone very different. And, you know, we are talking about, you know, decades ago, sort of incredibly different ways of thinking and all the rest of it. So within the limits of the time, kind of a positive thing, a positive attempt, put this person on television. And it was good and it was positive. And again, and this is the thing, we, we, I think we're talking before the tapes are rolling about, if you like, cock-up versus conspiracy. Most stuff, frankly, is cock-up. You know, most stuff is kind of accident. It's not even people trying to do harm or be evil. Uh, the playground chant of Joey, and obviously it's said in a certain way with certain movement, sound and all the rest. So I'm not going to do that. But, um, and as if you like, in inverted comes an innocent you know so people weren't even trying to cause harm it's just this mindless sort of it's funny to do that so and people still remember it so people people do that today so there is this this you know bbc high up attempt to do positive people just doing some but and these are these moments these incredible amazing moments I had a mate they came in the next day into school shouting their head off they shouted the old terms of abuse. And then they shouted, Joey. Fuck the lot of yous. I'm a Joey. I'm Joey. They, they had read the future. This nobody, in inverted commas, this nothing, this person written off by the system, school, state, the whole lot. They had read the future, just that little tiny bit. They knew what was coming. They knew that that was a going to be the next term of abuse for them and, and us, too, you know, because it, it, it was just a generic term, you know, you may it doesn't matter whether you have a physical difficulty mental health issues, you know learning disability, whatever, it's just a generic thing they got in first, they reclaimed it before it even became a term of abuse and it was like, fuck, you can do that with words you can get in there, you can do that with words you can reclaim things, you can turn them around, you can take them back, you can deny them, you can defy them you can question it, you can do anything with that, and you get your power back and you can't have it taken ever. You can have it diminished. You can be threatened and the rest of it, but you, mm. you can keep hold of that. And that was that, just one, you know, like Mary and this, all these other, these books, you know, Tom Nenner, all these, all these people, um, Jesse Kess and Gwyneth Lewis and so on, those moments in time coming across that gun, you can do that. That little bit of power, yeah, we're powerless in so many ways, but that moment of that hope, that respect, that dignity, that thing, that reclamation, taking it back. And this is this thing about the narrative. We have fed one narrative. There are so many others. Let's rewrite it. Let's turn it around. Let's, let's take it somewhere else. Keep hold of your Joey's, your Mary Wollstonecraft's, your whoever it is. They may be incredibly famous people. They may be just someone who if you like, had nothing, and they still, they still kept going, they still kept fighting. Who were those people? What were those, those fixed moments in time and space, despite it all, that your life turns on, that keeps going, that gives you genuine strength, genuine, you were shown a different way, a different possibility, a different direction. It's not the binary. It's not like that. We can take it over there. We can go somewhere else. We can do something different. Keep hold of that. With reference to language and the labels we imbibe, Gobskir moved on to talk about another of his literary role models, Jesse Kesson, who lived from 1916 to 1994, whose life he coincidentally shares some connections to. Jesse Kesson, the labels that she applied to her life were slum child, orphan, kitchen worker, 
Asylum Mad, Farmed Oot, Farm Dad, Cotter Wife, Mother, Life Model, Social Worker, Writer and Ootlin. Ootlin, which is um, sort of north of Scotland for outsider. So Jesse Kesson was born into a slum in Elgin, so just along from Inverness, in I, th- well, I think it was 1916, so 103 years ago. And uh, in 2016, we had the poshest job title ever. We were Jesse Kesson Literary Fellow at Monarch Moore, so that's Scotland's new writing centre. And you know, it's one that you, know, you get given a, a space to live for a month, some food, a bit of money, and in return, you're supposed to do work. You know, do do a little something. But yeah, so Jesse Kesson, born into a life of disadvantage, and th- that was a hundred years before we were the literary fellow for her. Um, so all these issues, all these problems, all these negativities, all the rest of it, very hard life. All she wanted to do was dream and write and get an education. She was denied it. Despite that, she fought through. She did. Um, and she she wrote nature writing and she wrote poetry and she wrote radio and she wrote novels. And she wrote about all kinds of topics, all kinds of subjects. And, and later on in life, she got honorary doctorates. Basically, she was slave labour as, 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 as a child and she was kept in... Um, sort of in this hostel and that hostel in Scotland in in Aberdeen then became the community arts centre and then became the Lemon Tree Theatre and that was where I first encountered the term disability arts (laughs) and being disabled and that's it thanks to Kanduko Dance Company but I was in the same space where Jessie Kesson kind of if you like, formally flipped over the edge, attacked the matron, and then whether it was self-harm, Susan attempt, whatever, but you know, she got locked up in what was the, the then asylum. I was um, treated or mistreated, what have you, in the same hospital, but many decades later. So all these weird, wonderful crossovers. But one of the pieces of writing is a radio play called Somewhere Beyond. So she wrote this in the mid to late 50s, talking about her experiences locked up in an asylum 20 years before. Mm. It got broadcast on the BBC in about, I think, the early 1960s. This is The Beeb, decades ago. <laughs> and questions were asked about, yes, this subject matter is important, but is it really fit? Is it really suitable for broadcast? Because here is a survivor, you know, or, well, you know, so I'm putting that word on, you know, I, I don't know, you know, she called herself a sign of mad, but, uh, you know, so I'm saying survivor or, you know, meant, you know, lived experience, whatever you want to call it. So she was the real deal. She went through it and the rest. She wrote this radio play, slightly fictional. Some of it was before that. And then going through a year locked up in this place through to the moment when she realised she was getting out again. Because it was also about voices and voice hearing. And you have the old woman in the bed next to her talking about being covered in Beatles, and, you know, sort of feeling sort of those, those sensations. So she wasn't just writing her story, she was writing this kind of this collective radio, almost like experimental experience of these different people. And also the work, because of a huge agenda, the work men repairing things outside. So it was kind of, 
decades ago writing this incredible piece from lived experience for real in an asylum for real 20 years before before world war ii really hard in you know <laughs> incredibly harsh times and uh, you know so again this through line there's mary wollstonecraft talking about these things here's her talking about her version of it and going through that for real the bbc do we dare broadcast this yes or no it got broadcast it is revolutionary here is this person fighting against all the odds fighting through winning through putting out radio and nature writing and poetry and novels and all kinds of stuff actually arriving there like like joey deacon you know kind of hard life but actually getting someone making something of it for herself and inspiring other people elsewhere Visit greyeye.org and Disability Arts Online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinion, reviews and learning opportunities.